Relaxing the chest and upper back. All the muscles all the way around the rib cage. Softening the stomach, the abdomen. Relaxing the middle and lower back. Relaxing the hips and buttocks, the pelvis. You may even be able to relax a little bit inside the hip socket. Relaxing the legs. The knees, the ankles, and the feet. And having having relaxed the, the muscles of the body, the outer layer of the body. It's also sometimes possible to relax inside the body. Just checking in and seeing if there can be a softening or relaxing inside the throat. Relax the heart and the lungs. Relax the stomach and the intestines. All the organs inside the body As we consciously relax and soften the body, it supports the mind being able to relax. And yet we can also incline a little towards relaxing the mind, relaxing any mental tension that might be present. Letting go for now, of thoughts of the past and future. Allowing the mind to simply be aware in this moment Often, especially at the beginning of a retreat, thoughts pull us away from being present, 
being aware. Relaxing the body, relaxing the mind can allow us to begin to simply notice the experience unfolding in our bodies and in our minds. The bodily processes experienced often as sensation in the body. Pulsing, tingling, vibration. The mental processes of thoughts, emotions, feelings, liking and disliking. It's possible to just simply open to this flow of experience in the present moment. Noticing just what's obvious. What's the most obvious experience right now? might be body sensation, it might be a state of mind, it might be sound. What's most obvious right now? By relaxing, we can begin to connect with this flow of experience in the present moment. And for some of you, it may be helpful to begin by picking an experience, some place to start. Some obvious experience, the breath or a contact point, allowing the attention to connect with that experience and begin to get familiar with being aware of experience. And yet there's no need to hold to that experience as you 
explore being present for your experience. You may pick an object like the breath and then a few moments later notice that the attention has shifted to sound or some other body sensation or an emotion, a thought. At that point, if you can simply know what you are aware of, what awareness is aware of in that moment, that's all that needs to happen. There's no need to come back to anything else because you're already aware. an opening to this flow of experience in the present moment. We're basically noticing what's happening in our minds and our bodies moment after moment. There may be a flow for some of you, kind of a rapidly changing flow for others of you. It may be a more of a drift or a slow shifting from experience to experience. Noticing this what of the experience, what is happening now, what's obvious. Sometimes we have a relationship with that experience that's kind of hidden in the background. An unpleasant experience arises and we don't like it. We think we need to do something or fix it or change it. in this exploration of what's happening in our experience. It can be helpful from time to time to check in. And what's my relationship with what's happening? What's the attitude? What's the relationship? I'll talk more about this as the retreat unfolds. There's some kind of basic relationships that we often have to experience. When something's pleasant, we tend to like it and want more of it. When something's unpleasant, we tend to not like it, want to fix it, change it, get rid of it. And so it can be really helpful to just check in.
Are you aware? What's obvious right now? What's obvious right now? What's obvious now? So in some ways, I've already given you all the instructions for the retreat. (laughs) And yet there's a lot more to explore. And I'll offer kind of more, um, more instructions tomorrow. But basically there's, there's actually not a lot of technique in this practice much of what uh, the instructions basically, you know, relax, notice awareness, notice what you're aware of, and from time to time notice the relationship to our experience. The basic tools of this practice. probably the most important piece is this noticing the relationship to what's happening in the moment. 
in the Satipatthana Sutta, in the definition part of mindfulness, the, the Sutta says, one abides ardent, mindful, fully alert, having put aside or putting aside greed and distress for the world. And I think that there's a couple pieces in that definition that I think really align with this practice. And one is the sense of abiding in mindfulness. Even just that word to me helps me recognize that what the Buddha was talking about was not a striving but a landing in an establishment, an abiding state of mindfulness. And this is, what, this is what we explore through this practice, learning what it means to uh, land in the state of awareness. We, we recognize awareness, we get familiar with awareness, what it is to be aware. And we cultivate the continuity of that mindfulness. Which supports concentration. And the other big piece of this practice comes into play around checking the attitude and more generally is in cultivating the right relationship or a skillful relationship with our practice. Cultivating wise view cultivating wisdom. Mindfulness. Mindfulness is um, the basic aspect of mindfulness is a natural, ordinary function of mind that has the capacity just simply to know what's happening in the present moment while it's happening. It's this very simple quality of mind that's very... uh, natural part of our minds. And yet, as Saira Utejaniya says often, awareness alone is not enough. And so just simply being aware in the present moment of what's happening isn't enough to help us find the direction towards freedom towards freeing our hearts from the ways that they're constricted and uh, tight, the ways we suffer, the ways we struggle. You could imagine um, somebody being very, very aware in the present moment and robbing a bank. That is using that state of awareness to accomplish something unwholesome. The direction of the mindfulness in this practice is towards the freeing ourselves from suffering. And so the the mindfulness, the practice of awareness is connected with this intention towards understanding suffering understanding how it happens in our hearts and minds, and the place where this 
actually unfolds moment to moment. The place where we get caught, the place where we struggle. And this is something some of you may have to take on faith initially, but the 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 place where that uh, suffering actually happens is in our relationship to experience. That not wanting things when they're unpleasant, that wanting to hold on to things when they're pleasant, the kind of confusion when we're not sure about what's happening. So the um, this exploration around checking our relationship to experience really begins to bring us into the perspective of wise view, of turning our minds towards the Dharma, turning our minds towards freedom, understanding how our minds get caught. And so the, the checking the relationship with experience, the attitude, there's a kind of a relationship we have to that as well, which isn't we check the relationship and then uh, either flagellate ourselves, beat ourselves up because of particular kinds of relationships or, or congratulate ourselves for having good relationship to the experience. But rather we simply recognize, oh, this is what's happening right now. This experience is happening. There's a pain in the leg. And not liking is happening. That's uh, the recognition that this attitude or this relationship is happening simply as another phenomenon. And that recognition begins to take that uh, habit of mind of that relationship, the not liking, the liking, the wanting to hold on, the, the, the desire for more, the wanting to get rid of, the wanting to fix, to change. It takes it from being kind of how we are functioning in relationship to our experience to just simply being another thing that's known in our experience. And that shift of relationship, that shift of uh, how the attitude, the attitude essentially becomes revealed to us, the relationship becomes revealed to us, and it um, being known, has a harder time to kind of run the show from underneath, you know, kind of drive the the gears from underneath. And so this is a key place of where we will be exploring. We'll be exploring awareness, what it is to be aware, what we are aware of moment to moment, and our relationship to our experience. And this this um, part connects to that place in the Satipatthana Sutta where it says, putting aside greed and distress for the world. That as we connect to the present moment, abide in mindfulness, we explore where is there greed and distress for the world. We reveal through awareness, through checking our relationship with experience, we reveal some of these push-pulls we don't just simply say, oh, greed, aversion, delusion, let me set you aside. Our minds don't tend to work that way. But that putting aside happens through the exploration of recognizing, oh, liking is happening. There's a big difference 
between recognizing between between having an experience and like that unpleasant experience in the in the knee having that unpleasant experience and and not liking it and having that not liking kind of be in the background we're clenching our teeth we're you know we're trying to stay with that experience and between recognizing oh there's the unpleasant experience and not liking is happening a big difference between those two and that second one allows us to move in the direction of putting aside greed and distress for the world. And so we are practicing Satipatthana here. We're practicing the four foundations of mindfulness with this uh, exploration of our relationship to experience as we, as we go. So do you want to add anything, Alexis? Do you want to say anything? At the um, beginning, is this on? Beginning of a retreat, it's it's really nice. I loved the way Andrea guided us. A sense of relaxation, um, such a key part in in the Dhamma in general. You know, I think our minds are so habituated to doing and fixing, and in some ways, it's what keeps us in the whole process of. Uh, being in contention with the way things are. And so that encouragement to both relax and then checking on the attitude is looking right there where the hook is. You're looking at what the Buddha was really encouraging in terms of where our freedom is, looking at suffering and the cause of suffering. And so that hook is rooted in the three basic urges that uh, keep us bound to experiences in ways that uh, cause stress and distress to our minds. So it's the greed, the aversion, and the confusion, you know, just not really being clear what's going on. And so the that encouragement right now in the beginning to just relax, and it's not our job to change or fix our experience. So if you notice right now, without trying, experience is already happening. Right? So each one of us is a field of experience. We're having an experience. And without any effort, and seeing is happening, hearing is happening, and body sensations are happening. Right? So we're not creating those experiences. And just want to encourage in the beginning this sense of just recognizing anything anything that's that's easily known and what our encouragement will be during this period will be increasingly a movement that is encouraging the continuity of awareness that is a lot less about the personal effort and moving more towards a natural awareness that when we prompted enough times, and I think any skill that we've picked up over the years, in the beginning there's a lot of the personal 
effort, we need to remind the mind to be aware or remember that we're, what our intention is, uh, just even remembering that we're alive is sometimes hard work. And then we remember in a moment, oh yeah, here I am. And so as we do that over and over again in a really relaxed, easy way, that momentum really picks up. And so if all we ever know is a sense of doing in our practice, of placing our awareness and uh, a lot of personal involvement, we kind of miss the opportunity for our natural awareness to develop. And so a sense in the beginning right now of just relaxing uh, the body, the mind, and then, you know, as, as Andrea was pointing out in the instructions, um, you know, what's happening right now, what's being known. And as much as, as needed, reminding very gently, and that's as much as necessary sometimes to d- rekindle the sense of awareness that's already present. And, you know, the first day is a lot of transition of the the energy from the world. And so there's, there's a lot of um, agitation and exhaustion, whatever it is that we're carrying from our lives. And uh, not to fight that, just really recognize what is actually being felt. You know, if it's tension or turmoil or contraction, and just feeling that, recognizing that. So we'll, um, as is usual on our retreats, here in the West at least, we will um, take the refuges and precepts together And um, I'll just speak a little bit about those before we begin. Um, Most of you are at least somewhat familiar, if not very familiar, with the refuges and precepts. And this is kind of, in a way, the ritual that we use here in the West to formally enter into the retreat container The refuges are about reminding us about what our intention is, what our direction, what's our our purpose here. And our purpose here is to awaken, to understand the Dharma in community. The Buddha representing, in a way, awakening. The Dharma representing the truth, what we wake up to, and the tools, the techniques, the teachings that the Buddha offered, and the community, the Sangha, the support that we have here on retreat of the community. Now the word refuge implies a kind of a place of safety, of security. And um, we, we may not 
necessarily have a sense of obvious danger. I mean, we have our our homes or not. We have our families or friends or the things that we normally uh, hold on to for safety. And yet, even a kind of a very cursory reflection on the things that we normally take refuge in. What do you normally take refuge in? What do you normally look to for safety? Even a cursory reflection on what we usually look to for safety reveals its unreliability as a true refuge, as a place of true safety. Relationships change, homes burn down, get lost, we lose a place of livelihood, people die, people get sick. We, we often take refuge in these things that are so unreliable. And this was, a, in a way, what the Buddha was looking for. He was looking, is there a reliable refuge? Is there a place, a way to be peaceful, unconditionally peaceful, without relying on something that changes Now there is a kind of a obvious unreliability to the world, to experience, to what's happening in the world. There's a kind of a very obvious sense in which, yeah, things change. The uncertainty of events, the instability of our bodies, the, um, that's a truth. It's true that we are all aging, that we will all die, that relationships will end, that we'll be separated from things that we love, joined with things that we don't love. This is truth. And yet we normally rebel against this truth. We don't come into alignment with this truth. We fight this truth. And one way to look at what this refuge that the Buddha offers is is um, what what he found perhaps a way to say what he found is when we come into full alignment with this truth of the unreliable nature of all experience when we come into genuine alignment with that We're not fighting it, we're not resisting it, we're not trying to stop the flow of change, we're not trying to make the change happen faster, but we are simply aligning with this is the way it is. This is the way it is in this moment. When we are fully aligned with that, not craving for something else to happen, not pushing away something, not confused about what's happening, in that there is peace. That there is peace. And this is the true refuge. Coming into alignment with truth is the true refuge. And the Buddha discovered this, woke up to this fact. And so taking refuge in the Buddha 
the, the way it feels alive for me is a taking refuge in the fact that Buddha was a human being and he woke up, he discovered that it was possible to find this peace in the midst of change, in the midst of unreliable conditions, there is a place of peace. So I, the, the way it's alive for me to take refuge in the Buddha is to take refuge in the possibility, the capacity that we have, that we all have, to wake up, awakening this possibility for becoming aware of what's happening in the moment and noticing our relationship to it, that will take us in that direction. This taking refuge in the Buddha, to me, is really taking refuge in our capacity, in the possibility of awakening. And the Dharma, taking refuge in the Dharma, and there are different ways this is understood, but you know, for me, the most alive way of understanding this is basically taking refuge in the truth. This is really the only reliable thing to take refuge in. How things actually are. The truth of things as they are. And the, the, that's one meaning of Dharma, is truth. And another meaning of Dharma is the... Uh, teachings that the Buddha offered that guide us in the direction of seeing and realizing that truth for ourselves. And we can take refuge in that as well. When we can't take refuge in the truth directly, we can take refuge in the tools and the, um, the teachings, the wisdom of the Buddha. And then taking refuge in the Sangha is really, you know, taking refuge in the support, not only of the the lineage, the you know, the Gil Fransdahl, my uh, colleague, my teacher, co-teacher at IMC and here at IRC, likes to say that the Dharma is passed from warm hand to warm hand. It is passed very in a very alive way. This is how the Sangha works. The Dharma is passed from one being to another. Dharma is passed from human being to human being in community, in relationship. And we're forming a community here. The Dharma has passed down from the Buddha (laughs) through people having practiced together. And here we will be practicing together and you will see Many of you already are very familiar with the support that comes with practicing in community. And so sometimes when, you know, the way refuge often works is, you know, if there's a time when there feels like there's a struggle of some sort or other, you know, a, a feeling of, oh, can I keep going, you know. Sometimes the, the reminder or the, the sense of, I remember at one point on one retreat, I, I felt like I was just such a failure and it's like, the mind was just so contracted and so stuck in its belief that I can't be mindful at all. And then at some point I recognized, I put, I was doing walking meditation and my foot hit the ground and I was aware of my foot hitting the ground. It's like, wow, wait a minute, I'm aware. Awareness is there. 
Awakening is possible in that moment. It felt very alive, a connection with refuge in the Buddha. And it felt very naturally the mind was already aware. It wasn't something I had to try to do. It, there it was, just in a moment. And that allowed me to kind of slowly pick myself up from that, those doldrums. And sometimes taking refuge in the Dharma might just simply look like it's my job to sit here and be as aware as I can. What's happening? What I'm noticing? That's not my, that's not my business. Just to cultivate awareness, cultivate that continuity of awareness and noticing our relationship to experience. We just take refuge in just the simple doing of that. Or take refuge in the Sangha. We might find, we look across at somebody and see actually them doing very mindful walking and it's like, well, they can do it, I can do it. Very direct sense of the support that we get from community. And so we align ourselves with this intention, this direction of our practice to wake up to the truth. And the support for that is the... um, the container that we create here of the uh, the way we all agree to engage in community with the intention of non-harming. And this really supports the communities uh, coming together and feeling, you know, this work that we're doing here is it's very deep work and it's very helpful to have a sense of safety in doing that the sense of safety, the refuge in the Sangha is greatly supported by our agreement together to engage ethically without harm, non-harming. And so as a, a, a way of entering in kind of this ritual, entering into the retreat, we uh, all agree together to uh, follow, to abide by the five training precepts to refrain from killing living beings, to refrain from taking what is not offered, to refrain from intentional sexual activity for the duration of the retreat, to refrain from false speech, and to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind. So each of these precepts, we can look at them and they're, you know, they're worded in a way that often evokes for some of us at least this idea of the commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, those first two, right? <laughs> Sounds just the same. And um, 
if that's how you engage with the precepts, you're really missing an opportunity to explore and understand something about your mind. Because it's not about, uh, the precepts are really about, um, it is about refraining from, you know, we, 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 we take the precept, we take the commitment to refrain from taking life, to refrain from taking what's not given. And yet it's not simply about shutting down and repressing the urge if there is an urge to slap a mosquito or to kill a spider on the wall, it's not just shut it down and go, nope, not going to do that, stop. It's, it's really more about exploring the energies in our hearts that incline us in that direction. We do attempt to refrain from the action and at the same time, we explore the movements of heart. Ooh, oh, I hate spiders. Oh, I have to get rid of it. We explore that aversion. We explore that relationship. So it's not about repressing the, the feeling. It is about agreeing to refrain from the action and the training is around exploring and, and what's going on. That, that the, the, these five precepts really can serve as mindfulness bells for us. If we're getting ready to hit a spider or um, you know, do something to break a precept, if we're getting ready to do something like that, it can serve as a mindfulness bell. Wake up. This isn't a helpful direction. What's happening? What's happening? Fear. Oh, fear is happening. Can I be with that fear? And so um, each of these precepts while we refrain from acting out of the intention to harm through that, not the repression of the feeling, not the repression of that intention, but through the exploration of that intention, the, uh, the, the, um, this train, the training in these precepts begins to cultivate for each of these precepts a beautiful quality of mind. The training in refraining from killing living beings cultivates compassion the training from refraining from taking what's not given begins to cultivate contentment. I think for the purposes of uh, this retreat, the training in refraining from um, refraining from sexual activity um, cultivates both contentment and an exploration of aliveness. Refraining from false speech cultivates truthfulness. Refraining from intoxicants cultivates clarity of mind. And all of these precepts offer safety and refuge to the whole community. 
So around refraining from intoxicants, I just want to add about um, this particularly refers to recreational drugs and alcohol, the uh, refraining from, and I, I think we could include devices in here too. <laughs> I think those devices can be kind of intoxicating. But uh, in terms of prescription medications, if you're taking any prescription medications, please continue to take those. This is not a, a time to try to stop taking prescription medication. So these these precepts are, they're training, they're trainings. And we may find ourselves in subtle ways, breaking one or the other of these precepts. And, you know, I found my, for myself this happening from time to time on retreat in, in uh, um, just like in, in an interview, subtly shading the report to make it sound a little better than the experience actually was. I spent three days in hell realms after that. <laughs> you know, just realizing what I had done in that interview. So, um, really helpful to. I think I I think those three days in the hell realms had uh, there was a lot of self-flagellation going on there. There can be ways that we break the precepts in subtle ways, and one of the I had this happen at one point on a. Um, a retreat in Burma, and um, again, it was around the precept of speech. It was, you know, I had said something that just to kind of make a shortcut about something, and then I realized, oh, it wasn't quite truthful. And I went and talked to my teacher about it and expressed exactly what happened, told exactly what what I'd said, and and um, and. And and I was confused too because I was I wasn't so clear whether I'd actually broken the precept or not. And he said, actually, it doesn't matter if you're you know if you're 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 that much going on in your mind about it. You just need to take the precepts again. And I said, I have taken the precepts again. He said, do it in front of me. And so I took the precepts again in front of um, Saira Ujanika. That was a teacher I was practicing with at the time, and. After I took those precepts, he said, "Now your sila is purified. Now your 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 ethical your ethical conduct is purified." And I realized in that moment that it's I had been holding on to what had happened in the past, and what in terms of these uh, these precepts, if we find ourselves breaking them, what we do is we we recommit to the. Uh, recommit to that to those guidelines to those trainings and we endeavor to move forward from here abiding by those trainings and that when he said now your sila is purified it's like I felt my whole system relax just this um, you know just this recognition from this moment Right now, I have I have actually confessed. I've said, you know, this is what happened, and I have recommitted in front of my teacher, and that 
that's all that needed to happen. And I could move forward from there. So um, you may find yourself at times breaking the precepts in, in, in subtle ways like this. And for those of you who have a tendency towards, um, for me, I had a strong tendency towards self-hatred and uh, that kind of self-judgment. And um, this, this, you know, the precepts seem to kind of hook into that. But when Sairu Janaka said that to me, it really helped me to let go of the past because at this moment my intention is to step forward into the future with that commitment towards ethics. So we'll take the refuges and precepts together now. We'll chant them together. Um, We'll do this call and response. Oh, does anybody not know the refuges, the Namo, Tasa, Bhagavato? Anybody not know that? Okay, we'll chant that part together. Um, and then we'll do the um, the refuges, the, the precepts, call and response. And after each one, uh, I'll also say the English. Um, it's, I find with the, the precepts, it's really helpful to just re- recollect in English what we are committing to together. So we'll take the, refu- the refuges together as a group, and then... Um, do the precepts call and response in Pali and English. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Buddhang sarnangachami Dhammang sarnangachami Sangang sarnangachami Duty MP Buddhang Saranga Chami Duty MP Dhammang Saranga Chami Duty MP Sangang Saranga Chami Tati MP Buddhang Saranga Chami Tati ampi damang sarnanga chami Tati ampi sangang sarnanga chami And call and response. I'll try to pitch my voice a little higher. We'll see if I can do that. Panati pata Where up the knee Sika padang samadhi ami. I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. Adina dana. Where up mani? Sika padang samadhi ami. 
I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. Abramacharya Veratmani Sikaparang Samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from intentional sexual activity. Musawada Veratmani Sikaparang Samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. Sura Mareya Majapamadatana Veratmani Sika Padang Samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from intoxicants which cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness. Idang me silang Magapalanya nasa Pacheo tu May this sila of mine lead to the highest peace. So we're now formally in silence and we'll go to bed early tonight. We'll break early this evening. It's a little before nine. The hall is, of course, always open. If you have energy and wish to continue sitting, of course, that's always a possibility. And yet, if you need rest, um, We're often quite tired after a day getting here. Please take your rest and we'll begin tomorrow at 6 o'clock for the 6 o'clock sitting. So enjoy your rest.